Hello there, Adam. You know what I'm stoked about right now? <laughs> what your new accent coach has been teaching you? <laughs> it's very expensive. <laughs> Our podcast, Thank the Maker, has teamed up with Roosevelt. They're the company that makes all those rad Star Wars button downs that I've been wearing a lot lately, for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, dude, I love their stuff. I'm stoked. I'm also stoked, though, that they're helping us throw our Star Wars-themed punk and emo night, the ultimate Star Wars party, Mosh Eisley. That's going to be so much fun. If you want to order anything from Roosevelt's, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off of your first order. Not to be confused with the tyrannical dark side organization, (laughs) just to be clear. Yeah, no, that's a different first order. To repeat, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. And my name is Adam Russell. My name is Ryan Key. Hey, Adam. Hey, Ryan. I'm Nick. What's up? Hey, bud. Yeah, you are, Nick. Yeah. Just sitting over here living in this dark, gritty Star Wars universe, you know? I love it. All covered in soot and shrapnel. Yeah. I only have one outfit, and if I want another outfit, I got to go beat up an Imperial officer and take his outfit. (laughs) Carrying around my AK-47. Just (laughs) didn't get skinned. It's just an (laughs) AK-47. I wasn't on last week to tell you how much that bothered me. (laughs) I mean, it is... an interesting choice. From a certain point of view, it is... I think AKs are just more common, so we see them. Like, there's some stuff in the in the original trilogy that's straight out yeah. of the, the surplus bin, you know? For sure. Yeah. I wouldn't have picked an AK, though. I agree. I mean, We get Uzis next season, I heard. <laughs> you didn't even have to use your AK. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So we're, of course, talking about Andor. We're on to episode five now. We're not even halfway. That's cool. Sick title. The Axe Forgets. Hell of a quote. Oh, yeah. I love that. That might be the quote of the week. That's the one I have in there temporarily, but we'll see. Let's use it. It's good. Go with your gut, man. I almost tweeted it this morning. It's so good. That's the real... (laughs) That's how Disney knows that they did well. I tweet one of their quotes. (laughs) Thanks for listening, Disney. All right. um, Let's just get straight into it because there's not much with stolen plans and we'll get into observations. So here we go. What have you done with those plans? Andor, Episode 5, The Axe Forgets, debuted today, October 5th, 2022. October, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Max Hedrum over here. 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 22. I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, That was so good. (laughs) October 5th, 2022 on Disney+. Plus. We have failed so far to give you the Disney Plus description, so... We're going to fix that right now. Apparently, they fired the intern and they got an upgrade or the intern that they're getting paid now because these are pretty solid. More effort, more effort. I read the first few. They're great. We won't read them now. But this episode is described as Cassian must carefully navigate the distrust inherent in being the new member of a secret operation. Yeah, dude, there you go. Exceptional. That's great. Peaking my interest. That makes me want to watch. Eloquent. Yeah, for 100%. (laughs) This episode was also written by Dan Gilroy. And directed by Susanna White, just like last episode. We've left a few folks. Last week especially left some of the, the Rebel Cell actors out. And did you put it in here? Failed to name the actor who plays the scumbag husband of, of Mon Mothma. Faye Marseille as Vel Sartha, the head of the Rebel Cell, the leader. Verata Sethu as Sinta Kaz. Eben Moss Backrack as Arvel Skeen. Alex Lothar as Karis Nemec. I love that kid. And Gershwin Ustash Jr. as Terraman Barcona. And then, as I mentioned before, Alistair McKenzie as Perrin Firtha. Different last name from Mon Mothma. Yeah. I feel like that's interesting that that might come into play because 
Well, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> there's some stuff we've heard. I don't know if it's confirmed about that marriage. It seems very relevant. Runtime on this episode is 45 minutes. Again, this includes credits. So under 40, I would say, because there's a solid like seven minutes of credits on these series. Yeah. I want to say this one was like 37 minutes, but that's that's good. That's an yeah. adult runtime. I like it. Something you guys mentioned in the text thread right before we started, the score is different on every intro, every episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't notice this. It's sick. Subtle. Yeah. yeah, subtle, but cool. What's it? Describe this to me. I, I love how it it opens with just the stars, and you almost forget every week like that it's you know a giant a star star destroyer is not going to fly into frame or whatever. It just right. becomes yeah. the planet, which turns into like that rad logo, rebel logo mm-hmm. type, you know primitive rebel logo looking thing it's so just so sick i don't yeah. how would you describe it nick that it's different like i would have to go back and focus more on the first four of like is there a central melody and they're just they're voicing is. it differently with a different instrument and things like that yeah it's his theme for sure which now is hummable we could we've heard it enough where we could you know actually reference it so it's his theme mm-hmm. but sometimes there's like I don't want to say drums, but there's definitely like a percussive element to it. There's violins sometimes. It's just subtly different every time. There's a very uh, Hans Zimmer-esque like t- ticking clock this week. Oh, mm. It's like a mm-hmm. signature Zimmer move. It's like always have something ticking. Yeah. Like you, his scores, you always feel like it's building tension like a bomb is about to go off. You know, that's like a thing he does. Mm-hmm. And this week at the, the Andor had like a going in it. Like when it, when cool. it went to Cyril sitting on the bed and that opening shot, it was still yeah. clicking. Well, this is the countdown to to the mission. I mean, they're they're there, they're on deck, so that's going to be next week. So that makes sense, mm-hmm. or we would assume, unless we get some flashbacks. Speaking speaking of flashbacks, still nothing the past two episodes since the series premiere. I, I'm wondering if they're going to do this as like four acts, maybe four three episode arcs, mm-hmm. and maybe this middle arc is just very much present day. And then on the next three-episode arc, we'll get back into flashbacks, maybe, you know? Because this mm-hmm. arc could end with the the mission next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Potentially. Seems like it. They're right there, you know? Like yeah. the, the garrison, the, that mm-hmm. whole dam is just in view at this point. So hopefully uh, next week will just be a little bit more action and, and some more threats. And then based on the quote that closed the whole thing, which we'll mention at the end, it potentially could make sense that they they would go through with the mission in this episode and not make it something that they drag out because this mission could be the beginning rather than the end of something Mm -hmm. which obviously it is for the rebellion right yeah but the whole thing despite being mostly focused on the rebel cell and this mission and preparing for it and so on opens with cyril at his mother's home on coruscant his (laughs) abrasive italian mother (laughs) that mike deeply connects with it was um it was as predicted as we talked about last week. They're not they're not going back to this dude for no reason. There's clearly more to come from him. I've seen stills of him in other clothing that I don't know is from if it's from a trailer or not. Yeah, there's like a more black kind of thing that he's wearing, I want to say. A tailored uniform with, with kind of a sort of, yeah. Thing in the middle, right? Mhm. Yeah, okay. So, more to come for that guy. What well, yeah, whatever his uncle is going to bring him into. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like uh, you know, possible imperial thing yeah yeah so let, let's talk briefly about him and then we'll get into kind of like the main storylines in this episode because it, it does four-ish parallel storylines because they're all they're all leading to something they're all going to culminate in some way to some degree cyril and his mother they're talking about uncle harlow also can i just say that the level of speech that they're working with like the the formality and the eloquence of these two mm-hmm I get the vibe that they're they're mainliners, you know. I I, I think where you're going with this imper- possible imperial, you know, Uncle Harlow, yeah. his mom like the, slapping him when he opened the door because he's yeah. fit coming home as a failure, she, and and the fact that she lives so many levels down, yeah, like she's she doesn't have any money or anything, but she's a full on empire. Just you know, she she's a believer. She she's a, yeah, she's a fascist, <laughs> but she's but but she's on her own. Like, is she? Is she a widow? Is she a divorcee? Is I don't like, know. Why, why is she living down there? It's it's mm-hmm. an interesting like kind of juxtaposition of of things. Speaking of juxtaposition, I feel like she also is like super dressed up. Her hair is done. She's got jewelry mm-hmm. on, and she's just like yeah, that, down however many levels at Coruscant. You know, like well, that's funny. what kind of what I'm suggesting. Could it be no more complicated than 
she's she just like showing that she lives kind of in the, in the, like the slummy mm-hmm. whatever, but that she is a full supporter of yeah. the, you know she doesn't she's she's a believer totally. in, the, in the cause in the empire and like yeah you know every people are just staying in line you know i mean that's mm-hmm. her and she's older you know it's like so, I, could, I could go on about the state of the world yeah so but, what you're saying is she's like an old retired woman in a tiny apartment in the villages in florida yes <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly i mean how bleak is that too just it opens with like it's such a beautiful simple shot but like the sun coming through the buildings on coruscant and for he like almost cries second. dude it almost makes him cry totally. to see the sun yeah. dude yeah right it's like you only get to see else. it through, you know, for a couple of minutes while it's in between two <laughs> buildings. It's unreal. Mike's watching that scene going, oh, Star Wars is over. This is it. <laughs> this is the end. <laughs> every, every time they level up this show, I know he's like, great. <sighs> I love it, but great. They're giving it to the old trolls. They're just handing it over. <laughs> um, last question on on Cyril and, and this whole situation. Why does he still have Cassian Andor's hollow image? Yeah. And mm-hmm. what's on his mind? Where is he going with this? I mean, we don't want to speculate now, but there's. Let's not go too far. I, he, he, but he, well, he's he's either something that's massive speculation we don't need to dive into. He's like a rebel cell. He's a spy. He's something. Or I think maybe too on the nose, but he's just pissed that he didn't finish. He didn't complete the mission. I mean, if it does go the imperial direction, if Uncle Harlow is an is an imperial, and what direction are you taking? What you know? What what plan do you have? He thinks you should go in a different direction, and turns them him into like this gnarly dark imperial dude then mm-hmm. there's your vendetta with with cassian like he moves up the ranks in the empire and for two seasons is going after cassian you know it's like that we could be getting this the, the birth of, a, of the true villain on the show yeah and i think he's just harboring he's just staring at it like he's obsessed with it that's the vibe i got could be wrong speaking More. of uh, being obsessed i'm obsessed with somebody that we know not being who they are being like presented as including him in like 2020 2022 i'm obsessed with the fact that like somebody on this show is like a double agent you know oh, like, yeah, in one sure. way or the other so he's for on sure. the list yeah miro is on the list for me like she's Dude. super suspicious too like somebody is not who they seem Lieutenant Gorn. I mean, well, straight up, yeah. Every time he like smiles when he walks away, is he smiling because the rebel plan is working, or mm-hmm. is he smiling because his plan is working and he's gonna get them yeah. in there and he's gonna trap mm-hmm. them and he's gonna, you know, like it, he could totally go either way. Yep. Yeah. One and one last point to all of that. This show was always billed as like a spy, you know, a spy show, mm-hmm. a Star Wars mm-hmm. spy show. And as it's unfolding, I don't think I've really even consciously had this thought. There, it it is fully becoming what they meant for it to be. This week's episode was 40 minutes of conversation. There was no action except for that badass TIE fighter flyby. But oh. there, there, was, there was no action. It, it's a spy movie. It's, a, it's, a, it's espionage. I mean, it's, yep, yeah. it, and I love it. I love it. I, I'm sure there are people out there that are pissed that there wasn't a shootout in a Star Wars episode. But man, I, I, it, it's, <laughs> it's so accomplishing what I hoped it would in just being this really cool spy thriller. Yeah. And the fact that we're just sitting here trying to figure out who the double agent is yeah success so cool <laughs> i uh i read a tweet last night and i mean i just laughed to myself i read a tweet after the episode was done and like every tweet is like this show's amazing this show's amazing this show's amazing mm-hmm. and one dude was just like remember when star wars was about lightsabers and magic and blah 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 and i'm like <laughs> i want in my head i'm like yeah dude i remember it was six weeks ago when kenobi was on air <laughs> like, shut, <laughs> like shut up like what are you talking about <laughs> uh... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, let's move on. Mon Mothma and her family, the daughter, the tension. There's a daughter, first of all, that gets introduced in this. Yeah. Her husband, like we said at the top, Perrin Firtha. Firtha, not Mothma. Yeah. So do we do we have record in Star Wars that you, you share, you take last names? Yeah, I don't know. Always, you know? I guess not. Well, I mean, there are examples of both, right? I don't know. I mean, but supposedly this was some kind of arranged marriage or there, there, are, there are hints, clues that this is an arranged marriage mm-hmm. and that's maybe Chandril and custom or something, or especially with wealthy families and, you know, political families. Mm-hmm. But apparently she just hates her husband. He doesn't like her very much either. <laughs> they have a daughter that maybe is his daughter. Maybe she's a stepmother or maybe there's just the tension. Nick, you were saying? Yeah, I would speculate that it's, there's a step parent. Yeah, I, I'm just speculating here. That's could be a based off of the last name of father and how 
shitty the daughter was. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, it's definitely father and daughter against mother. So maybe that's like from a different marriage kind of thing. I loved the, um, when he hit the comms to talk to the driver, to their, their limo driver, you know, their, their car driver, whatever. And was like, could we actually, could I spend less time in this car with her, please? Could you take the expressway? Could we get home faster, please? So that I don't have to be in this car with her anymore. There's also the thing, speaking he, he of the sucks. driver. Yeah, yeah he that sucks, guy sucks. <laughs> Where he refers to him as the driver and she's like, Mon Mothma's like, Chloris. Yeah. You know his name. And then in yeah. the car, he has to ask again because he's just a self-absorbed asshole and she, yeah. she just hates him mm. as she should. But the daughter situation, just based on the things that the daughter says specifically, she obviously resents Mon Mothma for being so busy, says it's, it's always about you, you know, all the political stuff. She feels like she wants to bring her along just as like, like an accessory mm-hmm. to show that, oh, mm-hmm. look, I brought my daughter, that kind of thing. So that, that could be her actual daughter. And she's just doing that teenager thing where she's yeah. she's mad at the parent who's pulling all the weight in the relationship and then sides with the one who's actually a piece of shit. Yeah. It could go either way. But it's um it's just I, I just love it because it, it takes someone someone who's such an important figure in Star Wars, even though they played such a, a short role in terms of screen time, like Mon Mothma, and really shows you the depths of her commitment to the rebellion and to peace and justice in the galaxy and all that kind of stuff. It's, it on some levels ruined her family life, among other things. So yeah, sick. totally character development. I mean, going into the series, like I actually would say higher up in importance of what I was like looking forward to was more about Mon Mothma, even more so than Cassian. Yeah, like, yeah, I know yeah, the same. Cassian stuff's going to be sick, but like that's Mon Mothma. Like we know her as a pillar of everything that's gone on, and we've gotten so little. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm this already in five episodes has been so intriguing. What a fun mission as a, as a writer, you know, yeah, if you're yeah. passionate about screenwriting to, to cr- fully create from the ground up a backstory for, as you said, Adam, a character that had almost no screen time, but is a figurehead of, of the Rebel Alliance mm-hmm. from 40 years ago. Yeah, just what a cool project to sit around a writer's table and be like, okay, well, where did she come from? And does she have a kid? And what's the vibe? What's the family dynamic? All that stuff we're getting to see. It's awesome. Where did she come from? Where did she go? Where did she come from? Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> hey nick what's up adam where did you get that shirt you're wearing the one that i like so much with the star wars things on it oh this one this one i get a lot of compliments on i got this one from roosevelt's r-s-v-l-t-s you know that company i see them on instagram all the time they make great stuff shorts shirts all the business yeah, they have a bunch of great Star Wars designs, obviously, and other franchises like Marvel, WWE, Disney, and many, many more, so many more. They're more known for their button-down shirts, but they also do t-shirts and shorts, and not just for the men, but for the women and the children, too. Dark. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way they fit. The fabric is super comfortable. Can't stop wearing them. Nice. Well, I'm going to rsvlts.com to make a purchase because I actually don't own anything yet and I've been meaning to buy something. I'm going to use the promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off my first purchase. And you can do the same again at rsvlts.com. I'm talking to you, listener. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. All right, let's talk about the Imperials. There are a few like many parallel storylines within the Imperial storyline. Blevin, the the main sort of antagonist against Dedra, the other Imperial lieutenant, mm-hmm. he's now on Ferrix and he's overseeing the the build out of the outpost. Big Nazi occupation vibes. I always go back to the sound of music, you know, like seeing the Nazi flags hanging on the uh, the palace or whatever it is in Vienna or or Salzburg. You know, they're they're there to commandeer whatever they need to establish their presence. So they're turning a hotel into like a, a headquarters and stuff like this. Yeah. And clearly there was, this is like a sect of, you know, the system that just had some lawlessness and they were there to put some order in for sure. And then Dedra and Hirt, attendant Hirt, doesn't, that name doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> They're secretly, it's right in secret, investigating. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like a, a pattern of suspicious activity. Yeah, because they're working late, so right. probably everyone else went home. So we all know this is one of those things. I, I, I forget what the screenwriting term is where the aud- either the audience knows what the character doesn't or vice versa. Mm-hmm. We know that she's onto something. She knows that there's actually like a rebellion brewing 
as far as she can tell, there's, there's an apparent large coordinated rebellion effort happening, but Blevin doesn't believe it, but she has here in on it. He's, he's invested. They're going through files and they're finding things. And did anyone else like kind of have, there's this thing where you almost like root for them to, to crack the case, even though they're evil. I mean, this masterful storytelling, it's not dissimilar from something like Breaking Bad. It's like who I'm rooting for everybody. Everybody said it's the characters are so good and it's so well written, so well acted that everyone is awesome. So great. Except for Perrin, (laughs) most hated man in Star Wars. Yeah, that guy. But even that, I mean, it's coming through. You're supposed to hate him and I want to kill him. So. (laughs) And then at the end of this little moment where they're, they're looking through the files, she pops a pill like, okay, okay, let's dig back in and, and do a few more files. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Nazi vibes, Mike brought up the idea that maybe this is a reference to Nazis being on amphetamines during World War II. Yeah. This is a little known thing. Ryan, do you know anything deeper about this? Yeah, and it wasn't exclusive to World War II either. World War I was when a lot of this started. Um, and then I, I don't know what the origins of meth, you know, methamphetamine, how far back it actually goes. But in, in modern warfare, that that time when everything changed in 1914, when World War I started, it was a big deal. And in World War II, specifically in the early days of German occupation, like when they blasted through Poland and took France and all, people were terrified of them. Like it was, it was a just known thing that they were just going to win the war. There was no, like, no one had any hope because they were playing the part of the empire, like these super soldiers that no one could understand how they could march for as long as they did, how they had the strength that they had. Like, I mean, it was just crazy. And it was because they were hopped up on meth straight up. (laughs) And, and it's also, I mean, a thing that happened in the war as it went on and dragged on and we got involved and made it take longer. And he made the big mistake of invading Russia. It just dragged on and on and on. And they started to get strung out. You know, it's like any other drug, you have to take more of it to work if you, if you are on it all the time and they didn't have enough of it to get to the front lines and people were getting really strung out. So the soldiers went from being these jacked up muscle bound, you know, Aryan nation, terrifying blitzkrieg dudes. So like strung out, skinny, freezing, <laughs> <laughs> like drug addicts it was yeah. it was crazy and i didn't think about that when until mike texted it but like what a cool homage to the evil you know it's just yeah. it's so twisted man and i, I this is obviously going to be the most twisted we're going to get to see the empire like as this show evolves over 24 episodes like it's going to get weird for <laughs> sure but and, and it has to be what mike said because she goes two more files for each of us like yeah. you want to keep trucking and then she pops a pill that's totally yeah. what it was so cool I mean, drugs are not cool. Meth is not cool. <laughs> but the writing was cool, okay? Just so I'm on record. I didn't specifically think like Nazi drugs mm-hmm. or Adderall or anything, but I didn't think she had a headache. And, <laughs> right. and yeah, aspirin, yeah, you yeah. know? I thought she was doing drugs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool cool thing to read about, though, if any of you guys, any listeners out there are interested in war stuff and you've never looked up, looked into that. It's really cool. It's a, it's a really fascinating tactic that was used that completely backfired. Oops. <laughs> All right, on the flip side of this battle, let's talk about the rebel cell for a little bit. Lots of tension between Cassian and Skeen. Mm-hmm. A little bit little bit of alpha, but battling for alpha position there. Yeah. Also a lot of mistrust. Yeah, I mean, there's general distrust there, which I understand. Yeah. For sure. But when Skeen is kind of grilling Cassian about his backstory, trying to figure out where he came from and all that, it's a good little exposition moment. Cassian does like open up a little bit about his youth. He mentions a couple things that we haven't heard before mm-hmm. the Sipo Youth Center. Sipo is a planet, a familiar sounding planet, but I couldn't find anything about it. I don't know. I don't know if that's a planet, actually. I feel like Skeen said he didn't hear about it. And for some reason, like he didn't know, he had never heard of that, I guess he said. But for some reason, too, I was just like, Cassian clicked into this almost like automatic answer, just like he did on the ship last yeah. episode with Luthen. And Luthen was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, I wonder if this is this. Maybe he's not telling the truth still. Like, he has a you a backstory of his youth that him and and, and Marva like came up with. You know, so he always right. snaps into this. Here's my automated answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. But they also they're talking about Skeen's tattoos. Mm. He's got this thing that we'll talk a little a little bit about later. Um, he's got a few. One, it's on his forearm. He refers to it as by the hand. Yeah. It's kind of a hand symbol. Couldn't find anything about that either. I feel like there's some syndicate, crime syndicate thing in there. Could be. But then Skeen goes on to talk about some of the other folks in the in the cell. So Nemec, he says he's green, but he's all and he's a true believer. And we, we see that a moment later when he, he gives this manifesto thing. It's pretty sick. Syntic has, she's 
kind of the tough one. He says she's stone cold and fearless. Mm -hmm. And those, those are the kids, he says, basically. So yeah. you just get a little bit about them. That's kind of cool to hear. And then there's some subtle clues about something that Nick picked up on. I think Ryan did as well. Mm -hmm. Talk about those here. Yeah. Well, the first one is at the current time of where we're going through this uh, synopsis here. But Skeen says to Cassian, she's already sharing a blanket, if that's what you're wondering, which he was referencing Cinta as the camera shows Vel. So that kind of sharing a blanket seems like a real nice way to say that they're, you know, a couple or at least sleeping together, whatever. And then later on, skipping ahead, I think it's when the rebels are walking towards the garrison and Skeen tries to kind of out Cassian as a liar. For sure. Um, it is. It's when, he, it's when he admits he's there for the money. Yep, yep, exactly. Mm. So Tamron asks Cinta. I mean, he doesn't even ask her. Tamron just says Cinta. Just looks at her. Yeah, and, and Cinta says, no, she didn't tell me. Which reply, yeah. like, obviously, that those are two clues that they're in close quarters, mm -hmm. to put mm -hmm. it lightly. Yeah. Yeah, weird. Did I miss that? I took that, for some reason, I took that as just, like, kind of taking roll call around, like, is she keeping this from everyone? Mm -hmm. But that makes a lot of sense with those two yeah, together. Yeah, I would think so, but, but he didn't ask everybody, though. He yeah, no, I, I, Nick, I interpreted it exactly the way you did. That, yeah. that they asked her because they would, they would know she'd be sharing whatever secrets with her. Mm -hmm. Also, just like thinking about this show and and that and what it implies, sharing a blanket, like just this being such a grown up Star Wars thing. Like yeah. we've seen one night stands. We we you know we like the rebels are are bunking up together in the woods. Like it's just it's it's cool. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm gonna put that in my dating profile. <laughs> Looking for someone to share a blanket with. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then. There's this amazing little scene conversation between Cassian and Nemec. I, I kind of just want to put the whole quote in, just the audio clip, where Nemec, the young kid, who's apparently seems to be like the kind of the, the brains of the whole thing, not necessarily in, in terms of planning, but he's he's the smart one. I mean, it's so confusing, isn't it? So much going wrong, so much to say, and all of it happening so quickly. The pace of repression outstrips our ability to understand it, and that is the real trick of the Imperial Thought Machine. It's easier to hide behind... 40 atrocities in a single incident, but they have a fight on their hands, don't they? Our elemental rights are such a simple thing to hold, they will have to shake the galaxy awfully hard to loosen our grip. It's so relevant to the times, like many things here, mm -hmm. talking about the pace of repression outstrips our ability to understand it. Oh, I love that. Yep. Does he say the pace of oppression, pace of oppression, right? Like the pace that they are oppressing the people with is faster than they can realize they're being oppressed. Yeah, uh, the the subtitle said repression. Oh, okay, which is interesting. I I thought I could be a typo because I saw some typos in there. I I heard it as oppression, like the imperial oppression yeah. of of systems, like is going faster than they are able to understand they're being oppressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but re repressing your freedom and stuff is another thing too. I guess like right. holding yeah. it down. Yeah, and he's the line about it's easier to hide behind forty atrocities than a single incident. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That's hitting home. Just picture uh, the entire Earth right now. That's what pops <laughs> into my head. <laughs> one death is a tragedy. A million, I think Stalin said, one death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic. Yeah. Mm. Amazing moment. And then they, they get into like planning the whole thing. And the moment where Cassian realizes that they don't have this plan fully fleshed out without him. They're trying to figure out how to get this transport out that's full of the, the credits, the payroll. And Nick, you, you compared it to like, kind of a Han Solo moment, right? Yeah, I feel like the way he spoke and like this almost like condescending disbelief um, was very Han Solo. Yeah. And then he basically came up with the plan and said, I'll do it. And also was like, you could take the credit. I don't care, but I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm flying the thing. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to put my ass on the line when you clearly don't know what the hell you're doing. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm behind the stick. I loved when he was like, what were you going to do if I wasn't here? Yeah. yeah. It was great. It's also really funny because they're so like, not all of them, but... I mean, really kind of all of them. They're all distrusting Andor and why he was brought in. I guess their distrust is just based on a lack of information of why he's there. But right. clearly he's there for things like this, where it's like, no, I know what to do. I know what to do in right. this situation. Well, he's quickly becoming a leader. I mean, quickly. Yeah. He, he's on the fast track. Like mm -hmm. the, the marching and the switching of the gun, you know, putting, putting yeah. the guns pointed the right way, all those little mm -hmm. observations. It, you can see the rest of the rebels realizing they are like that he's maybe kind of on another level mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's it's frustrating them but they're going along with all of it and no i mean he's getting minor pushback until someone is like well he's right you know like yeah. everything he's saying is right so we have to do it and, and I, I think he's gonna climb the ranks quickly once he realizes he wants to join the the alliance you know 
On the internal side of it, the Lieutenant Gorn part of this, he's preparing for the assault internally. Here are the few things that make me think it's very unlikely that he would actually turn mm-hmm. and that he's full of shit. One, it's what Skeen mentions about the way he turned, the way, you know, his backstory that yep. he fell in love with a local woman, then he lost a promotion, then he lost that woman. He says lost, doesn't say she died, but we assume. And then he lost his taste for the empire, quote, right? So that combined with the conversation he has has at the top of the dam with that other officer or that trooper or whatever, where that dude is referring to the locals and talking about the smell of them. Can you imagine if there was a thousand of them here, you know, and how uncomfortable and how how much Lieutenant Gordon is trying to kind of contain his rage, probably knowing Mm -hmm. that he his wife or the woman he was in love with was one of those smelly locals, as as this dude calls him. I don't think he's going to turn. He might bail. He might like not have the courage, but I think that's a really good observation. There's also just that that kind of reminds me of a lot because you see it. Uh, it reminds me of like just the imperial sensibility that is being portrayed in five episodes of this. It's almost like this unearned superiority. For sure. You know, it's like just putting that no matter who you are as a person, just putting on an imperial insignia outfit, whatever it is, you get to act like you're better. No matter right. what, if you're better or not, you get to act like you're better. Right. It's called nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. They make red hats for that. You've seen those. <laughs> and the last thing, he's talking to some of the, they're not officers, they're not soldiers, I guess, down in the lower levels of the, the facility about, you know, why isn't this painted yet? Stuff like that. And the one dude asks, asks him if he could speak freely. And he, he basically says, like, this thing's going to happen. This thing that everyone wants to see if you get stationed here, the eye, you know, this event that they have the whole mission built around that will distract everyone. He basically asks if they can be up there to see it and keep the crew down at the lower level minimal so everyone gets an opportunity to go see it. And he grants them that, yes, okay, well, you can finish this the day after tomorrow, knowing that the more people that are up there with their attention taken away by the eye, mm-hmm. the easier the mission will be. So, and that's where that little smirk comes in. Yeah, I like that. Real cool. And then as the rebels leave their camp and they, they head to the armory, to the dam, to actually follow through with the mission, they burn the scale model, they head out, and along the way, because I guess it's like a couple days hike, right? Or, or whatever, right? Very Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Traveling. Skeen comes up on Cassian with a knife and pulls that kyber crystal off him, and that's when that whole thing goes down where he kind of outs him, and then mm-hmm. Cassian ha- has to confess that he's being paid to be there, and that's kind of like a crucial turning point, talking about leadership and respect and all this kind of stuff and, and stepping up. That's like an inflection point where it's like, okay, you can trust who I proved myself to be to this point or not. Regardless of my motivation, I'm here. You clearly need me. But it also does leave, like you said, a little bit of like taste in your mouth about who's going to turn. How is this going to go south? Is it going to be skiing? Like, despite what happened, is he going to like, who knows? You know? Yeah. I'd be surprised if someone turns this early in the show, but I don't know. Maybe I should take that back because by the end of next episode we're a quarter through the entire series so right. mm-hmm. maybe it's time someone kind of puts that element of distrust into the show right one of my favorite moments in this episode was during the hike to the facility when they finally come up on it you know it's pretty exciting the, the way it's shot it's really cool it's nighttime it's lit up and skiing in the spirit of cassian owning up to why he's there and being honest with everyone comes up to him apologetically in a, in a way to do the same thing and be like, okay, I'm going to square with you why I'm here. And tells a story about his brother who committed suicide. Um, dude, Star Wars, dude, this is crazy. Yeah. His no. brother like drowned himself. Like, yeah. like it was something about like putting rocks in his in bags or like in his pocket tied him rocks yeah. to himself and drowned himself. Crazy. And this line, dude, I mean, this is like all time Star Wars writing to me. It's simple, but so effective. He, Skeen says, I always hate, after telling the story of his brother's death, I always hated the Empire. I don't really know what to call how I feel now. Yeah. And I mean, now that you know he's been through this this tr- unbelievable tragedy, you know, let's assume that he and his brother were close and it really is enough to motivate or light a fire like this, but he's so even keel. Even when he rips the thing off of his, the, the kyber crystal off, yeah, there's some intensity and energy in that scene, but he's like really hyper-focused. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to be very reactive, you know, to things. Like he's pretty calculated. So he's got a lot of rage in there that is quiet, quiet, you know, quiet rage. 
Because even when he says that line, he just says it so calmly. I don't know what to call the way I feel now. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't know, really effective. I love that. And then he goes, that's as much of an apology as you're going to get. Yeah. But I think <laughs> Cassian respected that and yeah. was like, cool. That, yeah. that counts. Because Cassian's been through some shit too. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's, he's had the same type of trauma in his life. Then the final scene, it's short. Luthen's back in his, in, you know, in the, the back of his gallery with uh, sort of like a, a radio, whatever. The Star Wars equivalent of like a CB listening for transmissions. Super nervous, kind of just like antsy, like kind of pacing vibe. And his assistant, there's more to her. We don't know if she's actually an assistant. That's weird, man. Mm-hmm. Weird. His, his partner in this like... I feel like the power dynamic was completely shifted. Yeah, it was scene. really Like she weird. was in charge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she plays the part of the gallery assistant, I guess, to, to mm-hmm. you know, the public facing persona. He says something to her like, have you checked your walk away pack? Like they have... You know, if, if they need to bail, if they get outed, mm-hmm. they have what they need to just disappear, basically. And she tries to reassure him, says it'll all be over this time tomorrow. In his response, which is what I referenced at the beginning, Luthen says, or it'll just be starting, which makes me think that it really is going to go down in the next episode. Mm-hmm. And it, this really is kind of just the beginning. Yeah, we're, we're there. I think that, that the, the power, the dynamic you're talking about between the two of them sort of like you could equate it to uh, like a, a president or our leader or whatever when they go b- get behind closed doors yeah and the, it's the only time they can be vulnerable and they have those like trusted advisors that right right that hype them back up and give them confidence or whatever you know what I mean I think that's pretty common and mm-hmm. for them to to do a scene like this and show that other side of him because he's just been complete badass every time we've seen him you know very forceful very very focused uh very purposeful in everything he says and this was, yeah, he was, he was flustered, dude. He was like, couldn't think. He was kind of like looking aloof, you know, around the yeah. room. Like it was a totally different vibe from him. So I think she's going to be a really cool character if they, if they expand on, on the two of them. Like, it seems like she's got a place in the story. Yeah. And she gives him that like, all right, stand up, brush yourself off, get your head right mm-hmm. kind of shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know who you are. Be, be the person that you are. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the Den of Antiquities. Thousand generations. It is the dark saber. Oh gosh. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Nick. Yeah. Take us to Luthen's back room. Give us some gems. Well, if what you're referring to is Cyril's mom's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so I really the only like uh, audible sound I made during 40 minutes of watching this last night was cereal. <laughs> yeah. and, and they were focusing on the cereal he yeah, was yeah. playing with his food he was yeah. throwing them in the milk like it was yeah back home they called him cereal carn yeah <laughs> they were like blueberry chocolate cocoa puffs yeah like holiday limited Definitely. edition they look like little planets yeah so cocoa puffs and blue milk you know there there is a cocoa puff uh cold brew in batu so shout out to batu also in the little like fruit plate, fruit tower thing that was on there, I think we're meant to maybe think it was like the Melaroon fruit that's always in like the Bad Batch and Clone Wars and stuff. But yeah. Jason Chiodo in uh, one of our patrons uh, in, in the chat, he said it's possibly a Kawano melon. I, I'm not so sure I know the difference between the two of them. You're not a real fan. Yeah. There, <laughs> what's, the, what's the earth fruit that looks like that? It's, it's kind of a more, is it... Pa- not passion fruit, maybe? Jack, is it? Jackfruit? Passion fruit? I don't know. They're smaller in real life. Mm-hmm. Lemon size. Maybe passion fruit? So I don't know. Not sure. What are we doing for dinner? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so Dre milk, it was kind of this like cream, orange creamsicle looking milk that uh, Namek had. So I didn't know what a Dre was, but Dre are the multi-horned sheep on Aldani that we saw in the last episode. They're in this episode too, I think. I think they showed one. I don't remember. Because I act like they forgot about Dre. (laughs) Damn, that's great. (laughs) So what was funny is Nemec and Cassian were talking about that like really old school navigation tool and it was absolutely just a repurposed Polaroid camera. (laughs) Not even hard to figure out. (laughs) It's like they took the the top panel off to, to, you know, expose all the stuff and everything else. The hinge and everything was the original. Yeah. Mike, make that. <laughs> this was kind of cool. It, it definitely belongs in the den, but it, it, it could have wound up in the, partially in the synopsis also uh, in the observations. But towards the end of the episode, when they're, they hear a ship coming and they're, they're starting to hide the guns and stuff, 
what looks like a Lambda class ship, you know, like the kind of triangular, like winged ship. Like Vader's shuttle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Starts heading towards the garrison. And no one mentions it because it just keeps going towards the garrison. So they're in the clear. But earlier, Gorn had mentioned that an engineering officer from Coruscant was arriving that day. So mm-hmm. could that be someone we know? I'm not sure, but possibly. Maybe someone from Coruscant shows up and kind of throws a last minute wrench into what's going on at the garrison and they have to adjust the plan. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, there was a quick uh, rifling off of a million planets that we knew from uh, from here. It was cool. He, uh, he mentioned Hosnian Prime, Kessel, Jakku, Fondor, all in like a, br- a single breath. And I was like, wait, what, what, what? And Base K, I'm not sure I under- uh, that one I didn't recognize at all. First mention of that ever I looked it up. Yeah. But the Fondor part is interesting because, first of all, that, that first appeared in Battlefront 2, that planet. But there's a line from Luthen where he says, have you checked your walkaway pack and the one on the Fondor? So is, is his ship called the Fondor? Yeah, uh, it's probably, well, in last episode, yes, I think the, yeah, I think it's called the Fondor. Yeah. So I wonder why, like, is there some, some cool little backstory for that ship, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I'm vaguely remember, I mean, we definitely mentioned that they called it a Fondor, so I didn't know if that was a place or like a planet that the ship was from, or it sounds like it's what the ship is called, though, the Fondor. Or is it just like cars on Earth where they just name them after shit for no reason? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Could be. Whatever. Uh, The crate head tattoo on Arvel uh, first appeared in 2003 video game Star Wars Galaxies which is now Legends, the the crate head was one of the three important relics kept by the Tusken Raiders in their relic cave. So this is confusing to me because crate head, the way he mentioned it, before I understood that he said crate, as in K-R-A-Y-T, mm-hmm. like the crate dragon that we know, I it, it just kind of went in one ear out the other. But I saw K-T in Arabesh at the top of that tattoo, and then there's some numbers and then a barcode. Mm. Like So the numbers go down vertically, and they're, they're just normal numbers and the barcode, meaning like he was in a place called Cratehead and that was his number and he was in some kind of work camp or something. So, I mean, since this, since this like reference is, uh, is legends, who knows? Cratehead could be like a camp on Tatooine or something. Who knows? But yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah. There definitely was for me, like information wise, a disconnect because I know what Crate is and that tattoo didn't really look like it. At all, I don't know. It, right. There's a little bit of like a, like a horns kind of symbol above. Yeah, kinda. But uh, and finally, back to the antiquities in Luthen's gallery, we could see in perfect HD the Sankara stones from Temple of Doom on the shelf. Absolutely confirmed. Yes, drop the MythBusters steel confirmed sign in slow motion. <laughs> and the thing that we thought was Indiana Jones whip in the carbonite debunked absolutely not it looks like some sort of ornate necklace kind of neck dressing thing but we're trading out a whip for 100 percent confirmation of the sankara stone so indiana jones still still canon here's where you drop the MythBusters busted steel <laughs> logo in slow motion i love you i know favorite scenes favorite moments favorite quotes and so on when you guys want to read from the patrons, our Jedi Council tier patrons with us right now, live. So from our Discord, Peyton says, I think the most fantastic line of the episode was from Vel about Gorn. Everyone has their own rebellion, and that's the power of it. Oppression plays out in individual stories, and individuals pushing back makes a difference. We see it best in The Rise of Skywalker with the line, it's just people. Individuals with voices and fight in them for whatever motivations can work together to fight back against bigotry and oppression. We look at the world so much going on, and I am inspired today by remembering that everyone has their own rebellion. I have my own rebellion. Maybe mine looks like seeing one client at a time in a mental health clinic. Uh, That's an interesting take. Uh, Yours likely looks different. In the end, it's all the same if we allow compassion to drive us to stand up for the innate human value and freedoms of our neighbor. So pretty uh, (sighs) in-depth thought from Peyton. Dude. Yeah. Shouts to Peyton. (laughs) And Maddie Gunner says, I just love how Cyril went from being... A uh, snidey weasel to suddenly, it's like, damn, dude, I feel bad for you. <laughs> Just because of his mom. Uh, and that's that's good character development, he says. I don't think we're going to feel bad for him for long. Yeah. No. 
it, so is his mom the new ultimate villain or him? Uh, it's Perrin, then his mom. <laughs> Ryan Key, what was your favorite moment or, or quote? I think I kind of already mentioned it, broke the rules. I, I, I loved that moment. I, I've always hated the Empire, but I'm not sure what to call mm. how, the way I feel now. It's just such a cool thing to show how, how much depth there is to the rebellion now that we're getting to see it in this way. You know, um, we've always just known it's there. We haven't really seen other than Rogue One. We haven't seen, you know, I mean, Rebels is Rebels, but this is different. This is different. This is showing some like serious trauma that has led these people to want to to fight against their oppressors. Yeah, this is this is Rebels for grownups. Yeah, for sure. So I, I yeah, I, I just really loved I loved that line. I'm excited to see where his character goes like next week. If I mean, no way they're all getting out alive, mm. you know, just yep. really excited to see where it goes. And where, where his relationship with, with Cassian goes to. Because I, th- I think this was a big moment this week where they both sort of fessed up to things. They both sort of extended a hand to, to reach out for trust, you know? Nick, how about you? What was your favorite? Uh, the line I really liked was between Miro and here talking about the rebellion sects that they're, they're kind of getting privy to. The line is, it, it, it's a back and forth. So it's, it's too spread out to be organized, but you don't believe that. I know this. If I was them, this is how I'd do it. I'd spread it out. Never climb the same fence twice. It's too random to be random. That's their back and forth. And us as viewers, we're like, damn, they, they know. Mm-hmm. But they have to prove it. <laughs> but we're like, yeah, totally. Totally, bro. <laughs> Just a couple of fascist druggies. Yeah. <laughs> figuring out there's a rebellion. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> My favorite moment was I think uh, what I mentioned earlier, the little monologue from Nemec where he gives his manifesto. It's almost like he's rehearsed it, mm-hmm. you know, and every new person that he brings in or that the group brings in, he kind of, he gives them an earful. Because he says something like, uh, you seem like a, like a likely candidate or the, or the, the right, um, like the right demographic for my manifesto, basically. I forgot what he says specifically, but it's just so perfectly crafted it's like it takes everything out of my head that i'm frustrated with in the world and and puts it in this beautiful paragraph that hits all the right points and and strikes all the right chords so i thought that was incredible that's hands down my favorite and it also really has me unfortunately pretty convinced that that kid's gonna die yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i was just i yeah. knew you were going where you were going with that just like mouse in uh in the matrix you know that Absolutely. kid's dead yep yep he's dead yeah it's like the casting is that it's like scrawny little nerd you know like he is have you seen uh have you seen the end of the world with him no on on netflix dude he's amazing this kid nemic yeah rad show on netflix oh, wow. called the end of the world okay right chat is that what it's called hold on hmm streaming netflix dude it's it's such a good show let me make sure i got the title this right. is from like a year ago ish right it's a couple of seasons a couple, couple of years yeah yeah the end of the world that's what it's called there's there's oh it came out around the time of like um there's two seasons the drug show with um with uh homegirl sephoria Euph- euphoria yeah sephoria yeah. <laughs> sephora whoa euphoria. sorry um simmer down yeah check out that show if you listeners as well if you, if you like watching things that are cool it's a good one so yeah, I, I think we can confidently say that this show still kicks ass and it's going to keep kicking ass and we love it. Mm-hmm. That's my final thought. Yep. Confirmed. Agreed. Nick Canberian. Yeah. What do you have coming up? Anything you want to tell the folks about before we get out of here? Uh, Bayside has a show, the Aftershock Festival, this Sunday in Sacramento. So doing that, Bayside's heading into the studio for uh, all the remaining days leading up to when we were young. So uh, that's pretty much it then I'll be seeing your ass uh, when we were young in Vegas for three whole times. And you could find episode 64 of the Radio Radio Show up on Spotify right now. Nice. William Ryan Key, update the folks. What do you got? Hello, friends. I don't know if you saw, if you are, if you are a fan of the podcast from across the pond on the island that contains uh, a few different nations. The Foggy Island. The United Kingdom. The United Foggy Kingdom. Uh, we announced, we, by, by, by we, I mean Yellow Card, which is a band I was in for a long time that I never thought things like this would be coming out of my mouth again. But uh, we're playing Slam Dunk Festival next year in May and tickets are on sale. And we're very excited to have another official event on the books. That's all there is for now, but... Sounds like a slam dunk. Hey, man. Jesus. So I'm so sorry. So that's that's happening. And then uh, I have a, another project that I've mentioned several times on the show called Jetta. You can follow us on socials at Jetta Music. 
it's like ambient electronic fun stuff to vibe out to. And uh, my socials are all at William Ryan Key. My stuff is all at Adam the Skull on social media. I will be playing shows with Nick coming up in Las Vegas at When We Were Young. We're playing one extra show the Friday before. Tickets are on sale for everything. I don't know. Maybe When We Were Young still has tickets. I don't know. Can you get me a ticket for that? Mm-hmm. If you want to come hang out, come hang out. Yeah. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna be there for Mosh. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna stay for the whole sick. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I'll figure it out. But yeah, I was planning on staying in Vegas for the weekend. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll make. That I think happen. we. Get- I don't have to play a show, so I can just you know just throw throw a few back with the boys. But most importantly, like Ryan Key said, we have Mosh Isley coming up. Tickets are still on sale. It is the 28th, which is a Friday. It's the second weekend of when we were young. It's a Star Wars-themed emo and punk Halloween party. Everyone who's listening right now will go for the Star Wars of it all. But we might get some folks that just want to come hang out for a Halloween party. I don't know. Hopefully everyone's in costume. Vegas, baby. If you're listening to this and you're going to be there, you better be in costume. (laughs) Like, for real. I've got loads of new items that I will be wearing, like the 43-year-old man that I am. (laughs) Almost. Almost 43. Loads. And I don't want to scare anyone, but... It's only three weeks away. Yeah. And yeah. and I'll say this because I'm not afraid to say this. And transparency is key. It's more than half sold out. So in the next three weeks, we're going to sell a lot of tickets. So yeah. yep. it's going to go away. This is a little bit of a fear tactic. Buy your ticket now. <laughs> <laughs> Come watch us dress up with our friends. <laughs> fear will keep the local people in line. <laughs> Moshisley.com is where you can go to get tickets for that, including merch. We have merch up for Mosh Heisley and Thank the Maker. ThankTheMakerMerch.com will get you there as well. Got a handful of designs. Uh, I think the newest one we're having issues with because it's kind of a, it's a tribute to a different logo. So we're getting, we're hitting like the copyright shit with that. Uh, we're trying to figure it out, but it's great. And it's coming. MoshIsley.com. ThankTheMakerMerch.com. Go check it out. Patrons, thank you for being with us today. Patreon.com slash ThankTheMakerPod is where you can go. If you want to be one of those patrons, support this podcast and get exclusive stuff. That's it for now. Ryan Key. Send us out with a quote from the show. Straight from uh, my bud, Arvel Skeen, who had also my other favorite quote of this episode. The axe forgets, but the tree remembers. Now it's our time to do the chopping. Hell yeah. And they called the episode The Axe Remembers. So so badass. It's like an album. It's like a song on an album. (laughs) So good. Nailed it. Now it's our time to do the chopping. And then like sick of it all's clobbering time starts. That'd be sick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or the opening scene from Commando starts with Arnold chopping wood and he carries a big ass log. Either way, either way's fine. Dudes, good hang with you. Patrons, thanks for being here. Listeners, thanks for listening. And until next week, may the force be with you. 